make fun of it, right? We like to find ways to make it all humorous. It makes it easier for us maybe to, to you know, kind of get along. But uh, the difficulty for us is that there's just some hard realities that we've got to be serious about uh, in life. And so we're starting a new uh, series today called So You're Dead, uh, Now What? And uh, we're going to take a serious look at trying to answer uh, the questions we have about uh, so what happens after death? What about uh, our afterlife? And uh, uh, in order to do that, uh, the first two weeks, uh, we're going to spend time just hopefully getting on the same page uh, and the same kind of fundamental awareness uh, and get, get grounded on some things uh, that kind of set the, the, the foundation for answering those questions that we're going to answer on the third week. So... Remember, you can go. You can go to our webpage. You can go to Facebook, and you can turn in questions for the third week, and we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can on week three. But on week one and week two, in order for the week three questions to make sense, uh, we got to get together on some some basics. Okay, you with me on that? You'll get it when we go here. So today we start talking about uh, about hell. You know, a catchy phrase there. I came up with that title, by the way. Hell, yes. <laughs> You know, I don't always say it that way, but, you know, in this one it works. Um, and um, a question mark, right? So what we're going to talk about today is just a really tough subject, uh, a really straightforward talk about the reality uh, of hell. And so for your parents out there, uh, you know, we sent you a note just to remind you that, you know, we're going to talk about death in this series. We're going to talk about some real stuff. Uh, and, and some of it's just, you know, graphic. So you just need to be willing to talk to your kids when uh, when the worship's over or later in the day or uh, if you're more comfortable you know send them into kids camp but going to be straightforward okay well let's get into talking about the subject of hell when we get into the subject of hell uh, right now out in the world there's a variety of different ways of kind of coping uh, with the subject and I try to capture what I think are the four most prominent views that kind of float out there in culture in dealing with the topic and the subject of uh, what about hell in our afterlife. And uh, the first one, straightforward, is kind of that traditional view that hopefully you'll hear more about today, but uh, just saying, look, people are sent there and, uh, and the punishment is uh, irrevocable, right? But there's also another view. It's a conditional view. And that conditional view says, well, no, here what happens is that the unrepentant person dies and, uh, and uh, goes to hell, but suffers there proportionally to the level of their sin. So if they're really sinful, they have more suffering. If they're less sinful, less suffering. So they suffer proportionately. But then at the resurrection, they are judged and uh, they move into peaceful uh, non-existence. Right. So it's kind of like, OK, so you got to you got to put up with a little torment because you had some sins. But eventually, when Jesus comes back, don't have to worry because then you just kind of go into uh, you know, non-existence, right? It's kind of like the uh, the tombstone epitaph that says uh, of the atheist that says all dressed up and nowhere to go, right? Uh, of course, C.S. Lewis said about that, he only wishes, right? Um, but it's kind of like nowhere to go. I mean, you end up with just nowhere, nothing. That's it, n- non-existence, okay? Another view is a universal reconciliation, and this view is gaining a whole lot of attention uh, these days. Uh, there was a young pastor who wrote a book actually called Loved Wins that kind of runs in this genre of understanding. Uh, and it says God uh, God cannot eternally punish uh, because that would be an unloving thing. Right. And so God is love. And because 
God is love. It's just unthinkable that a loving God could do what the world would perceive as an unloving thing, and that would be to send people to hell so that they have to suffer. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, geez, this, this doesn't comprehend that a, a loving God could do that. And so, well, okay, maybe for a little while you have to suffer just until you repent. But then when Jesus comes back, everybody will have repented because, well, that little bit of suffering you have to go through is going to bring you to a place of repentance. And so ultimately everybody wins, right? Because everybody repents and Jesus comes back and everybody gets to go to eternity together. You follow that? Yeah, it's kind of like the everybody wins uh, kind of theory, right? And that's really prominent out there. And some ch churches, you know, are, are, are teaching that. And then there's just the straightforward cultural view, which I think is kind of the predominant view uh, out there in the world. And it simply says, I don't know, and I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of people out there. This is where life is, right? Comes to hell, I don't know, and, and I don't really care. Uh, in fact, statistically... Uh, if you go out there in the world, you start asking this question about, well, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Uh, when you ask the first question, do you believe in heaven? Seventy percent of folks out there will say, yes, I, I believe in heaven. But when you ask the second question and you say, well, do you believe in hell? Interestingly, only 40 percent will say, yes, I believe in hell. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of like if we ignore it, it'll go away. Right. If we ignore it, it, well, it just we won't have to deal with it. If we just if we just ignore it, it will be good enough. The problem for us in the faith is this is not a topic that Jesus allows us to ignore. The reality is Jesus talked about hell in the, the Greek New Testament. Uh, the word for hell, Gehenna, appears 12 times. And of the 12 times that it appears, Jesus uses the word 11 times and one time it appears in the book of James. So as you, as you think about who's talking in the scripture about hell, who's doing most of the talking? Jesus. Right? I mean, the guy we say, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, the one we follow, right? The guy that gives us the rule and norm for life and the way of life. This is the guy that talks uh, about hell. And when he talks about hell, another interesting thing, when he talks about hell, he's not this guy that's standing out there on the street corner with a big placard, you know, that says, repent or go to hell. Right? I mean, that's not what he does. In fact, when you go through the 12 times that Jesus talks about hell, it's so fascinating who he's talking to. When he talks about hell, he's not talking to the horrible tax collectors. He's not talking to, you know, the wayward prostitutes. He's not talking to some, you know, horrendously sinful person out there. Interestingly, when Jesus uses the word hell, those 12 times, when he's talking about hell, he's talking directly to the religious people. Isn't that fascinating? He's talking to you and I. He's talking to the people who ought to know. He's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. He's talking to the people who've studied the scriptures. He's talking to the folks who are the learned religious people. And to those people, he has to 12 times talk to them straightforward about the reality of hell. Why is that? Probably because they are not so dissimilar to us. This is one of those topics we just as soon not take serious. I mean, it's just one of those topics that we just as soon 
not take serious. I mean, we'd love to come into this room and talk about the love of God. We'd love to come into this room and, and, and talk about the grace of God. We'd love to come into this room and talk about the forgiveness of God and the power of God in our life. And we do that. And that's all good. But it's really harder for us when we have to get in this room and talk about the righteousness of God. When we have to talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. You see, the reality is, when Jesus talks about hell, he is speaking directly to us, religious people. Because we get lazy, and we forget to take this part of truth seriously. We just forget to take this part of truth seriously. Now, I want to show you a few, just a few of the passages that Jesus talks about in Matthew. And I think you'll see in these passages how serious... Jesus takes the topic and the reality of hell, okay? Here's one of them. It's out of Matthew 5. And I want you to just, as we're talking about this, this looking at this passage, just, just think of the reality of what he's asking you to do here, okay? He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into where? Okay, so do you think he's a little serious about this hell thing? I mean, what did he just say to you? I mean, get, get the graphic image of what he just said. Listen, it would be better for you at this exact moment to take your fingers and reach into your socket and rip your eyeball out with all the blood and all the ooze and all the goo and all the pain of that. It would be better for you to do that right now than to experience the reality and the truth of hell. That's pretty dang serious. Wouldn't you say? Or he goes on, same image. He says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Another just harsh, graphic, serious image, isn't it? He's saying, listen, go get the meat cleaver Cut this thing off. It would be better for you to go through the pain of that, the blood and the gore of just taking a meat cleaver and cutting your, your right hand off. Better for you to do that than to have to go through the anguish and the reality of the seriousness of hell. See, this is difficult for us because Jesus takes the reality of hell absolutely serious. He takes it absolutely serious. To the point that he'll say in Matthew 25, when that chapter where he talks about the Son of Man coming back in the final judgment, right? He says, then there's going to be a bunch of those on his left, the goats. He says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What does he set up? He sets up two realities, doesn't he? One is a reality of eternal life, and the other is a reality of eternal punishment. He, do you see anywhere in what we've talked about so far in Scripture, do you see anything in there that somehow says, well, you know, you only have to suffer for a little while and then you're going to come to your senses? I mean, it's not there, is it? Do you, do you see anything in there in those views that we talked about in the beginning? Anything in Scripture that applies to any of the views that, that have that kind of short-term mentality? 
you know, well, you know, just you just got to go through it for a little while. You come to your senses or, you know, look, it's just going to be a little bit and then everybody's going to win. I mean, it, it just doesn't exist. I mean, the reality is Jesus talks about hell straightforward and seriously, and he talks about it as an eternal reality. Let me see. How long is eternal? Okay, pretty dang long, right? Pretty dang long. Okay, so he's come straight forward with us, and every time he talks about us, in saying, look, this is a serious reality. This is a serious reality. It goes even further, because now we ask a question and say, well, okay, if it's a serious reality, then, I mean, come on now, how bad can it be? <laughs> right? That's a good question. How, how bad can it be? Well, if you go through the number of times in Scripture that is there a reference to the reality of hell, you get some pretty difficult images. Some pretty difficult images. And I put these down for you. They're on your half sheet, which I hope you have grabbed out already and you can take home with you. When you get home, look, at, look these up because there's more there. So look these up. But here's what, here's what it describes. Scripture describes hell uh, using these images. It says uh, in Revelations, like, it's like a lake of fire. Or that it's like a, a, a bottomless pit. It's like an abyss. Or it's a place where it, there's just constant weeping. There is constant gnashing of teeth. There is constant anguish. There is the constant fires like a fiery furnace. There's constant heat, constant anguish. Uh, there is no rest. There is no sleep. There is just everlasting punishment. It's just absolutely dark all the time. And that fire will never go out. And there is the absence of hope. And if you want one of the most graphic images to describe the reality of the anguish of hell, it's in Mark 9.48. Mark 9.48 says, The experience of hell is like having maggots eat your flesh constantly, without end, every moment. Do you see a drastic picture that Scripture paints of the reality of the condition of what hell is like? If we go to Luke 16, and there's a parable, that picture that Jesus uh, shares there, of a rich guy who dies and of, uh, goes to hell, and there's you know, a poor beggar who dies and goes to Abraham's bosom, and he describes in 16 the experience of the rich man who went to hell. It says, time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in what? That's not good. Right? That's not good. He was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into water, in water and cool my tongue because I'm in, I'm in agony in this fire. This is the, the torment, the agony that's being described here is that his hope, you know, he has no hope. But, I mean, the best he could even ask for is that he could get simply one drop of water. How much agony do you have to be in to look at one drop of water as being significant? I mean, think about that. He didn't say, look, can you send me a couple cases of water? <laughs> one drop. How much agony do you have to be in? When you value one drop of water 
that much. You see, it's a difficult truth for us. Scripture paints a hard reality. Jesus takes hell seriously, and it's not good. You see, we have this false kind of uh, kind of uh, image going out there in culture, and uh, the best I could do is try to capture it with this story of uh, Willie Nelson's birthday party. Remember Willie Nelson? I think he's still around. Is he still around? Still got the ponytail? Yeah. Willie Nelson's birthday bash. Uh, the lead singer from Aerosmith, uh, Steven Tyler, wasn't he on one of those shows recently? Yeah, okay, that guy, okay? So Steven Tyler's at, at Willie Nelson's birthday bash, uh, and he says, Happy birthday, Willie! Here's hoping that we'll have twice as much fun in hell as we did here on earth trying to get there. Guess what? It's no fun. It's no fun. You see, there's this kind of this false image out there that somehow, you know, hell's going to be this big beer bash. You know, it's just going to, hey, let's go party all the time in hell. You know, do you see anything in what we've looked at so far in Scripture that looks like fun? It's just not there. I mean, this is a difficult reality that the Scripture lays out for us, that hell is real. We have to take it seriously. And it's bad. It's bad. And you say, well, can it get any worse? Yes, it can. Scripture lays out that it is horrendous. Jesus uses the term hell. It is the term Gehenna. It's the valley in the it's south of, of Jerusalem in the valley of uh, Hinnom. And when he used that term, Gehenna, everybody who heard him for the first time would know exactly like that what he was describing. And what that place was, south of the city of Jerusalem, was a giant garbage dump, right? It's kind of like the place uh, over in Addis that we've got our, our missionaries at, right? Where there's just this giant garbage dump over there in Korah, right? Same thing south of Jerusalem, and it was called Gehenna, just this giant garbage dump. And one of the realities of the garbage dump is that it constantly was on fire. It was just constantly on fire. And, and if you were a poor person and you couldn't afford to be buried, guess what happened to you? Your body got thrown into the dump and thrown under the fire. And this place was a constant fire. It was a constant stench. It was as horrible as you could imagine it to be. And that's the term Jesus uses. As horrible as you could imagine it to be. And then it gets even worse. Because in Matthew 25, you have the possibility of hearing from Jesus... What no one would ever want to hear. It's in Matthew 25 again, when he talks about the judgment experience. And it says, then he'll say to those on his left, those who don't know him, depart from me. What did he just tell him to do? You see, here's one of the hard realities of hell. God is not present. And if God is not present, there is no hope. There is no grace. There is no love. There is no forgiveness. There is no life. That's tough. That's serious. And so Jesus could say, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are we supposed to take this serious? Absolutely, guys. We have to take this serious. It's a, it's a real reality as we look to our afterlife. 
Okay, so we take it serious. The trouble is the world doesn't. And when we go out to the world and we try to share this word, what do you suppose the question is we hear? Well, it's that one right there all the time, right? I mean, even though we may come to agreement today and say, you know what, that's right, that's what the scriptures say. The problem for us is we always get thrown in our face this question. Well, how can a loving God do that? How in the world could a loving God send anyone to that kind of reality? I just can't believe in a loving God who would do that kind of thing to somebody. Heard this before? Right? Here's the problem. The answer for us is in Matthew 25. It's again that, that scene of judgment, right? It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Who was hell prepared for? You can say it. The devil and his angels. Is your name on there? It wasn't made for you. It wasn't prepared for you. What's really interesting is the word prepared there. The word prepared that he uses right here is the same word he uses elsewhere in the Gospel of John where he says, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. You know, Remember that passage? I'm going to go prepare a place for you when he's talking to his beloved. right? Same word, prepare. Same word. The, the reality is God didn't prepare hell for you or for anybody else you know. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But what happened? In our rebellion, in our own selfishness, in our own sin, we become enemies of God. And that's who, who hell was prepared for, the enemies of God. Do you remember Jesus saying, he who is not with me is against me, right? My enemy. And so we end up getting drafted into the reality and the experience of this place that wasn't even prepared for us. So in truth, the reality is God doesn't send anybody to hell. We do a great job of that all on our own. We don't need his help. We're really good at it. The struggle for us is that we get trapped in that experience that wasn't even meant for us. It says in 2 Thessalonians, He will punish those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. What happens? You see, when you refuse to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, you choose the reality of hell. That's what it is. Do you remember... Jesus teaches and he says, listen, everything is forgivable. Oh, wait a minute. There's one sin that's not forgivable. And that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Remember that? So what's the sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, what is the main work of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is like the main thing the Holy Spirit does? The main thing is the Holy Spirit creates faith. What's the unforgivable? When you refuse Jesus Christ. When you say to him... Depart from me. When you say to him, I don't want you in my life. When you say to him, listen, I don't want anything to do with you. Then you are making the decision to let that be confirmed for eternity. You follow it? You see, it's not God who does this. We do so good in and of ourselves. The amazing thing is in John 3.16. We know this one well. The amazing thing is what God does do in spite of us. I mean, the amazing thing is when people say, how could a loving God do that? You say, 
this is incredibly true because the amazing love of God forced God to break the rules. Because the rules are, if you sin, you die. The rules are that we should be eternally apart from God just because we're broken people who rebel against Him. But God breaks the rules. And because He is an incredible loving God, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through Him. This is the incredible love of God, that He gives us a way out. There's a great story about uh, 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 President Calvin Coolidge. And he was presiding over the Senate. And uh, one of the senators were fighting with another senator. And the one senator said, you go to hell. Okay. Just told the other, you go to hell. Right. And Coolidge apparently was just reading through the book. And the senator got kind of chewed out and told to go to hell. He appealed to President Coolidge about the whole thing. Here's Coolidge quote. Uh, Coolidge apparently looked up from his book and says, I've looked through the true, true book and the rule book and you don't have to go. Isn't that cool? Yeah. You know what? We're in the book today. And I can tell you, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. And that's why verse 18 is there. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, today, right now, God's incredible love is for you. Because he's a loving God, he says you don't have to go. And you don't have to give up your eye. You don't have to give up your hand. Here's what you got to give up. Your life. Give up your life. And just recognize this is serious. And you can't do it yourself. And our only hope is a loving God. Who says, when you receive my son Jesus Christ, you receive life. And nothing can defeat that. And you don't have to worry about hell anymore. Now, here's the last word. The challenging thing of this reality for us is this. If we're serious today about what we're talking about, what we hear today, if we're serious about this, it ought to drive us out of this room to talk to every person we know who's apart from Christ. One of my greatest sadnesses, my greatest sadnesses in my life is that I love my grandfather. He was a, a great fatherly kind of figure when my dad died. And, uh, man, I loved that man. I had a great time with that man. But you know what? I didn't know this truth at that time. And as I stand here today, I don't know that I'm going to see my grandfather in heaven. And I have a great fear that he's going to spend eternity in hell. And I would give anything to go back and change that. You see, because it's serious. And it's real. And we have the answer. We have the loving truth that can save people from that reality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it real. It's a hard word, but it's a real word. We take it serious. We won't take it lightly because we know your love for us is that great. That's what we want to center on. Your love for us is that great that you wouldn't abandon us there. Your love for us is that great that you wouldn't choose to have us there. Your love for us is that great that you would choose that nobody would experience that reality of hell. So drive us today. Drive us to our knees if we need to be. 
and drive us into the lives of others that we can share the good news of your love in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we pray. Amen.